just get out there and run and, and love it. And my biggest lesson the last couple of years, even with the wellness piece, where it's people that are have less experience with running coming into it, they're often shocked after a few weeks if they of them sticking to it. Of wow, this is actually pretty fun because they're meeting people, they're getting out of their comfort zone, they're seeing improvement, which makes everyone feel good. Welcome to part two of our conversation with John Honorkamp. If you haven't listened to part one, we do recommend that you go back and hear that as well. Enjoy. You met, you touched very briefly on um, helping people get through the barriers to starting. Can you talk a little bit more about that, like what you've come across in terms of helping to motivate people to take that first step? Yeah, it's, I mean, I started a group, running group recently at... Um, we work because I was like, oh, this company is crushing it. They're in 100 countries and running is so scalable. Like in my business now, I consult mainly in fitness, mainly with running as the platform because of the lot having the physical barriers needed of having a court to rent. Even in the city, you might need a permit, but like I've never really gotten one. I just kind of figure it out. Um, and we're running from place to place. So it's like kind of tougher to even manage. But it's... Um, so group training obviously is good for accountability and motivation. I think the toughest part is joining the group the first time, signing up for a class, or signing up. I, perfect example at Roadrunners. I um, we had a like a Wednesday like a lunchtime run. So we would run at noon from 89th Street, which was like the old you know. Again, I feel like it's so long ago that we that's where I, like my office was next to a um, um, fireplace that was didn't work luckily. <laughs> um, Right where you got the numbers, like I was in the second back floor, okay. and that's why Stuart and I first did the live chats. Was that kind of second floor? But we'd go for a run, and it turned out being like me and Gordon and Stuart and Gordon Pakulis. You probably have talked about, but no one knew people would come because they'd be like, "Oh, it's Stuart," or "It's Gordon's written a book about running. Like she's so fast, and she is, and she has written books." So I'm like, "All right, this is really not just for the faster, more experienced runners. It's for everyone. We want to practice what we preach and get out there." And, we're, two, we're half a block off of Central Park. Like, we all work tons of hours. Like, why not go for a run and take care of ourselves? And it, so then, like, and then we recently, then we just moved most of us to um, 57th Street. And I said, you know what? I'm just trying to, like, do my own marketing kind of pilot. And I said, I'm just going to call this Running 101. And there's staff, and this was at five o'clock, so it wasn't noon. So you didn't have that, like, pressure, like, oh, I don't know if I can leave. So at five o'clock, and I had, like, 25 people. And just because I, it was the same thing, it was a staff run, but I called it like running one-on-one or, or beginner running class, which I hate that term, but it was, I knew that it would, it would work because that's how people think about running. Um, and we all ran like, I did it once just to kind of help prove to them that they can come out and run with us. And there was some faster runners came out and they did their loop and I kind of catered to this um, other group that maybe we ran, ran walked two miles on on the lower loop of uh, Central Park. And they're like, this is great, see you next week? And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I was just doing it just once to show them that they could do it. And then I thought that that would be enough, but they wanted to keep doing it. So that, I think we were there was a 5K coming up, whether it was the corporate challenge or maybe a, a different race that was a roadrunner race. And again, it was also my extra time to do this now at five o'clock instead of doing other things. And so, but I did it and they loved it. And I, I just changed the name. So it was all marketing. So back to your question of like the barriers are often mental. Like I can't do this. I'm not a runner. And in joining the group, the trepidation is I'm going to be last. I'm going to hold up the group. <laughs> so the key is people don't want to hold up the group. And that's the biggest. I'm too slow. I'm not a runner. 
And my comeback is, have you chased a bus? Have you chased a two-year-old? Have you, you know, have you been late running for the elevator? Running is leaving the ground and moving forward. Go back to race walking in the Olympics, which is really tough and awkward to watch, and it's pretty painful. I know some friends who've done that at a pretty high level. You know, some people like to be like nitpicky and everyone can't run. My grandmother has a busted knee and she's in a, I'm like, okay. But she could do her version of what running is. And maybe that's just playing chess. I, I don't know. But most people can leave the ground and move forward and that's running. And so you have to do that a lot more often if you want to run a marathon. But you're all running. And I think it's just more of a mental mindset. The barriers are more mental. Physical, yes, because like you need to get used to running, and there's some like shin splints and side stitches and those things that are physical that you have to get through. But the, that's you're already doing it at that point, right. and trying to stick with it. It's the how do I start thing, and that's what I love about running now in the city. I, I started the member project. I had off the hook. I managed the New York Athletic Club, which is a pretty elite team. Yeah. People can be a part of several groups. You can have all these like kind of rogue races, like. Orchard Street or Take the Bridge. I know people, like woman I just started, I recruited for, for New York Athletic Club, Trina. She ran at Columbia, so she was pretty competitive. Um, she like trains with like Streets 101, which is a new team, mm-hmm. at a custom, uh, finish line PT. No, custom That's PT. Amazing. Both, I go to both, they're great. I just, um, um, so she does custom, but then she also trains with Off the Hook, because she lives near us. And then she runs for the New York Athletic Club. And then she does all these Orchard Street 2 a.m. runs. So I feel like now it's it, there's I think more it's okay to I think be affiliated with certain groups, whereas when I first started the project, which was only like five or six years ago for New York, I didn't start the whole thing. It started in Boston, but there was people that gave people like they would work out with us because it was fun and it was different. And it wasn't super competitive, um, and they were getting faster because then they would do intervals with other groups that I had. And then their team would be like, oh, why are you training with that team? I'm like, who cares? They're getting yeah, better. It's exactly. helping your team. It's helping your team. That's what Off the Hook is. Off the Hook is Prospect Park, South Brooklyn, New York Athletic Club, November Project, and like free free agents. And no one cares. <laughs> We're happy that you do That's well. Great. But we don't care like that you beat me on the weekend. Yeah. And I think there's a trend overall, at least in New York, whereas I think 10 years ago, I mean, the New York Athletic Club didn't even have a local team 12 years ago. You're used yeah. to them now, all the women winning every year, and the men are second, typically to West Side. Yeah. When I first ran for the New York Athletic Club in 1997, when I was still in college, there was no local team. I started. I came back to the city in 2001. It was like Med, Med wasn't on the team yet, but there was like elite marathoners, the elite race walker. They support the Olympic track and field events, and they can't compete with the Nikes and the Adidas's of the world, so they would have the race walker and the shot putter and the triple jumper because the history of the club is so ingrained in track and field. And But the, the running team, the local running team, is only like 12 years old. Can you talk to us about how you've been developing that and recruiting people? How long have you been doing the recruiting? About three years. Okay. Uh, and we actually hadn't done any recruiting for the three years prior, which is kind of why I kind of okay. got asked to help out. I was more like a, a player coach because, <laughs> like, <laughs> actually, it actually helped this. I could actually attribute New York Roadrunners and the, and the points competitive team yeah. to kind of re-get me back into running. Because when I was 28, I was kind of, like, done running uh-huh. competitively, and I didn't run for two or three years. Wow. And I didn't, like, necessarily, like, didn't, it wasn't like I gained a ton of weight, and I just... I was really competitive, and it's like, why do it if you're not going to get better at it? I just had no, there was no reason for me. And then three years went by, I was about 31, 32, and it was um, a couple people like me, like Leslie Higgins ran on the track team, at because at, at, I was on the elite team with the shot putter from Georgia, and the, 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 the so cool. like, it was like we had no 
team. We had people all over the country that we were supporting, which was great. Because um, they have judo, they have like fencing. Um, it's amazing what, how much they support athletes. Um, but locally, I, I would run the Fifth Avenue Mile, I'd run the Milrose Games on a relay or something, or the Wanamaker I ran one year. And when it was in the garden, no offense to the armory, but I ran 14 years of the Milrose Games when it was at Madison Square Garden where the Knicks play and all this other stuff. So the armory is, is epic as far as history as well. Um, but the garden is the garden. So, um, but I ran, you know, I was you know, on a relay, four by eight DMR or whatever, but I wasn't really local races. I, I think I did the midnight run in 2001 was my first ever New York road race. That wasn't the Fifth Avenue because I ran the Fifth Avenue in 1997 when I was in college. But there was no reason for me to run the local races. And then when I was 31, I was living in the city. I was like probably coaching St. John's, but I was coaching St. John's track and field. I wasn't like, you know, if I was going to run, I would be on the track or something. I got recruited by some people at the club saying, hey, we want to form this local team because there's members that go to Central Park every weekend. And there's like these races and there's like Central Park Track Club and Van Cortland Track and Prospect Park Track Club. And like we have no we have a bunch of old timers that are in their 60s and 70s like out there walking or jogging and it was like more of an intramural kind of like kind of social club within the club that would run called the runners club some of them actually quite fast but it wasn't like a something that so you might see new york athletic club in the results but it was like 20th place because their top runners were maybe a couple of 40 or 50 year olds that like like to run and so they asked me to like we, we want to have a more of a serious team locally so it actually gave me a purpose i was needed so I remember going to the, the, a 10K. It might have been the healthy kidney like that we had yesterday, um, like, you know, whatever, 12 years ago. And like, yeah, I just run. We just need some bodies. And I was like, ah, okay, I'll, I'll just go there and I'll run six-minute pace, which, you know, as a 31-year-old, like as a 28-year-old, I was probably running four minutes in the mile. So like six-minute pace was like, ah, no big deal. So I went. I said, okay, give me a singlet because I didn't even have one because it had been three years. I met Leslie Higgins at the starting line. She gave me a singlet. It wouldn't even fit me. It was like too tight. I'm like, is this women? She goes, no, it's the men's medium. I'm like, oh, wow. I'm, I guess maybe I have like gain weight, but it's, you know, I used to be really skinny. And, and when I was competitive, my mom would cry because I looked so bad. But I was fit and lean. And now I probably just look a little bit healthier, but not healthy enough to put on this medium singlet. <laughs> so then I had to wear this like gray t-shirt with a wing foot on it because I couldn't, I needed to wear something. And I ran 617 pace. It was a really hot and humid day. It's at the 10K course, which it's is why so I didn't hard. run yesterday. <laughs> it's brutal. If you're not fit for a 10K in Central Park, that's why yeah. when the guy ran 2708 or something last year, yeah. oh. and it was a, it was a new, new North American record yeah. for a road race. That's mm -hmm. how fast that performance was. I was like, oh wow. I can't run six minute pace, like that's a problem. Just because, like you know, I was you know I would run four fifty pace in tempo runs, like right. you know ten years or three years earlier, yeah. and it was more like a reality check. And I was also needed for this local team, and I'm like I'm needed. <laughs> so within four months, I was running five ten pace, and I dropped oh, nice. a weight, and wow. I could fit into the medium singlet because I was thirty one, and I could, I could. <laughs> that was the goal. Make it work. Yeah. Oh yeah, but it was one of these things where it, I became relevant. My running, I became relevant for running again i was needed for this local team oh, nice. and that actually like gave me a purpose and then i didn't care that i wasn't running four minutes of the mile anymore because that's not what they needed mm -hmm. and i was part of the starting a local team and then the, the next that next year the women like got enough like you only need five or six runners but they need to stay healthy and they need to like which i found out yesterday it, you know it, it's you need more than five to have five yeah exactly <laughs> um and so 
Um, I just joined that team and I got fast enough where I was actually getting nominated for running of the year from 30 to 34 and even a little bit when I was 35, 36. And then I, that's when I started working at Roadrunners and I just gained 20 pounds back. I think I, I gained 20 pounds working at New York Roadrunners. Part of that was also me chasing my wife, trying to make her my wife and oh. focusing on that. But also like coaching, as you guys find out, it's tough on your own running. So it's not, it's your choice and it's not like you don't need to complain about it, but I basically became less relevant because I was new guys and gals were coming on the team. I was not scoring anymore. New York Athletic Club doesn't really care about the masters. You know, they, people, you know, are older, over 40 like myself now and still run. It just wasn't a focus. So then my relevancy that got me back into running kind of faded. I had different priorities. Um, But about three years ago, I was like asked to kind of, hey, help out. And so it really only takes three or four runners a year to get on the team because then like people that are a little bit older cycle out to have families or maybe they're just switching their goals. But a couple and the New York Athletic Club, the history, the prestige behind it, people always sometimes pick on it. They say, oh, it's too elite. I'm like, well, we have 50 roster spots, 25 men and 25 women. And the membership pays for those spots for those folks to be able to use the club for the weight room and in the, in the pool. So we're, I think we're, I would say we're, we're an elite team, but we're not elitists. But until you realize that how much that New York Athletic Club supports judo and fencing and the swimming and the water polo, um, I mean they have lacrosse and basketball and rugby, which are obviously not the NBA and but they they more intramural type clubs. But what they do for Olympic athletes, where like there's not a lot of Nike athletes sponsoring the fencer, just like. Just like they weren't sponsoring the shop putter, and, and the AC was able to step in. They picked up Meb, and Meb got dropped by Nike. Meb ran more races for the New York Athletic Club than Nike because he kept reinventing himself, not reinventing himself, but he kept proving everyone wrong. And it, that's a cool story in its own right. So the AC can, you know, again, might get a bad rap for historical purposes, and some of those are well founded, but I think until you realize the model of it, it's just a different model than Central Park or Prospect Park or Van Cortland. Uh, we just have limited spots, so but it's kind of fun for me to give young kids coming out of college that still want to pursue running. We had seven people qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon the last cycle, and we have a current we have a couple a couple currently have five or six. Perfect example of, of kind of the, the atypical model was Roberta Groner, single mom, th- mom of three, full time nurse. Like we found her, she's in Jersey, she's local. And she ran some of her races, and then I didn't recruit her, so I can't take credit. But um, the club supported her, and she ran two thirty a couple of weeks ago. And she two twenty nine at Rotterdam, yeah, yeah, two twenty nine. And then she, I don't know what place she was yesterday. She was second or third, probably. Yeah. But um, she was up there. She so anyway, so it's um, anyway, like Alex uh, Katakamo just ran two forty in Berlin. I should wow. say just because it's September, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> sort of feels like just. But anyway, it's, it's nice to get the folks that are have to work full time and, and they still running to be part of their life. And it, you know, it, it sometimes you know maybe Alex is not going to make the Olympic team, but she could run two thirty two or two thirty five. And yeah. like Brendan Martin got twentieth of the Olympic trials in L.A. He's now working at finish line PT. Um, so anyway, it's um, back to the why I became relevant to running again it got me back into running and I really am grateful for that because I kind of it was all or nothing for me and then after three years of being nothing and then you know I took the 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 need for the local team and some of the vanity of not being able to fit in that singlet and having to wear the t-shirt <laughs> yeah um kind of kicked me in the butt a little bit but that hey everyone has their own motivations yeah. and, and what wakes them up and uh so 
that was one of my wake up calls. But I really, I don't know if I'd be in running today if it wasn't for the local scene make, need, needing me for that one team and that certain timing. Back to the timing thing, it was like, oh, I'm around. Yeah, I can help. Oh, I probably could run faster if I did more running. And then that kind of got me into running for another five years enough to then I got I still coach now. I, you know, I still compete. Like all my races are tempo runs. I just run as hard as I can yeah. even because <laughs> I want to mitigate the, the suffering. <laughs> are you, do you have any races on the calendar for this year? My joke is that it's not really a joke is I'm like, what are you training for? I'm like, I'm training for life. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I have a daughter that's 17 months and I want to, you know, and again, I'm not like this obese person that's out of shape. So no. I don't want to like complain that I'm like, <laughs> But I'm just a lot slower, and I have different priorities, and so I'll run with her once a week in a, in a jogging stroller. I do enough running on my own through work that I, I don't like. That's not like the only time I can run is if if she's in a jogger stroller. But um, yeah, I want to be around longer for her, and you know, and and that's kind of. I mean, it's nice to set up be in races to keep yourself more accountable. I'm more likely to train if I like have a you know a race coming up. So. I might do the Brooklyn half as a, with Daniel, the, the Hume, the, 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 the chef, because he's a pretty fast runner, and I, I can't not train if I'm going to keep up with him. What so do you I'll, think he'll do? Uh, we ran 128 two NYC halves ago, okay. and he ran 310 in New York oh, off wow. of what it seemed like no training. We did wow. a couple of long runs together. He was also an elite cyclist back uh-huh. in the day before okay. he became a chef, so he wow. has an engine that's stronger than mine uh, as far as endurance so he can I almost want he can fake it I can fake the track a little bit mm-hmm. like, I can't fake marathons but I, I he, like he ran 310 he ran 310 last year and 312 the year before and I'm like how did he do this because he didn't do the training that would and he's not a small guy he's like 6'3 mm-hmm. very busy traveling a ton has a couple young kids um, so I might run the Brooklyn half to um, just as like kind of a work thing and, and I'm buddies with him but I definitely, and I, I get, st- I, I have a kind of um, back to our friend Stuart Calderwood with a streak. He says it's a curse. You know, it's great, but it's also like I've run now eight New Yorks in a row, eight New York City marathons in a row, and I'm like now I feel like I have to do ten, and I'm probably going to do the ninth one with the Make It Nice team. But I want to like break the streak because I don't want to get stuck every year. I feel like I have to run this, but then you you become like it becomes not fun because it's like this pressure to not do it for the whatever. So. Right. I my goal is to not run the New York City Marathon <laughs> <laughs> at some point. That's good. I like that. So I'm not Michael Caparasso or Stuart Calderwood right. as far as running every day. And I, I tell them to their face like, and Stuart admits it's a curse. I'm sure Michael, it's a great thing to to to, to applaud and it's a great feat. But I'm sure there's some years he probably shouldn't have run, <laughs> just because you know fitness yeah. and lack thereof. Yeah. And so streaks. Um, I'm saying be careful with the streaks because they could um, be curses. Um, they could be also beautiful. So I don't want to discourage those that are on some. Right. I just I don't know if I've run more than 30 days in a row ever. Yeah. So maybe I just feel bad about myself, and I'm trying to. You can start the trend of a limited streak. You're like, I'm going to do this for 30 days straight, and, and that's, that's it. it. Right. <laughs> well, then it's, it's, it's counterintuitive to like you need to rest. People like get right. so burnt out, and then they like they think one day off is going to like correct everything. <laughs> <laughs> like it's cumulative you've been breaking down yeah. your body for all these months and then you finally give yourself a day off and then you're like expecting to feel like great no so rest is more important I think sometimes yes. than the work it's also tougher to measure you can rest five times a mile but rest I mean the sleep you can rest you can kind of monitor your sleep yeah. you know eight hours a night or over right. a couple months or weeks and stuff and heart rate at the moment when you wake up but a college coach always said it's tougher to, to measure rest yeah well, especially the quality of rest, unless you're right? like you know a scientist and you're taking yeah. blood samples right. and and really technical about it, like a Matt Moran could probably do for you. But um, right. 
Yeah, rest is just as, I think the most important work, work out of the week is your day off. Unless you have all your days are day off and you right. do no work. <laughs> it's the other extreme. Yeah. Then, it's yeah, all relative, That's right? not going to probably make it help you, but. So one thing, um, speaking of Stuart Calderwood and marathon running, <laughs> you guys ended up running Berlin, I think it was 2011 together, right? Yeah, that's we my heard second his, marathon. <laughs> we heard his version of the story. Can we hear your version? <laughs> yeah, it was actually a great trip. It was Side Run New York in 2010, my first marathon. I was 35. I ran 244, which is pretty good. That's amazing. But I, I was terrified of getting hurt because I had all these friends that stopped competing at a high level college and, and and beyond like before I did and they ran it and they were like getting injured but they also had full-time jobs and I just remember all these people like standing on the finish starting line with it, like holding their knee and be like oh, hope it holds up but I'm like <laughs> what kind of experience is that so when I ran at 35 I was like you know I'm you know young enough but I'm like I'm like I don't need to do 80 miles a week and like run like 220 right you know because so I was like all right I want to run as fast as I can but I don't want to get hurt so I actually was keeping a log back then, like I used. I don't now. I do Strava and stuff, but I'm not like take, keeping a meticulous log, although maybe I should. Um, but I ran. Uh, I only averaged. I averaged 33 miles a week for my 16 weeks, or whatever it was. Wow. So most of my running was like 25, 28, 30, and then I my long runs were 17, 19, and 21. I don't even know what plan I was following, but I was training with Gags, who's a famous coach that trains New York, New Jersey Track Club now. Okay. He's in his 80s. So I was just working out with him once a week on Monday nights with John Troutman, who was uh, won the trials and f- the 5,000 meters on the track in 1992. And then he got hurt and you know got out of running. So he was getting back into it. He's about five or six years older than me. So I'd go up to, uh, we were always like the B team. We'd go up there and Gags would be like, oh, like he'd be <laughs> timing us. And we'd be, he'd be like, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Like that's how slow we were. Like. <laughs> Like instead of running sixty-five second quarters, we were running seventy-five, and he, that was his joke. And then he, if you know Gags, if you you know follow Kyle Merber, he he's a guy that probably has a lot more social following than uh, than most people, and it's really funny because he's like this kind teddy bear, but he has a big bite, yeah. and he's uh-huh. but he doesn't mean it, yeah. and uh, he's just like, hey, Hanacamp, uh, you know, you need to lose some weight, and he's a heavy set guy. But he's like, he's right. If I was trying to run fast, I was probably carrying an extra few pounds, and he probably would get in trouble now if he was coaching in the collegiate ranks, just because of how everything is super PC or super careful of how you say things. You know, when he was coaching in the '80s and '90s at Georgetown, he probably could get away with a lot more, um, more just kind of make it funny and picking on you. But yeah. it motivated you. Mm-hmm. But he would do the whole Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> Thursday, aha, like that's how slow we were. Um, and he'd be like, uh, Hanukamp, you're a has been. Actually, you were, you're, you're not a has been, you're a never was. <laughs> you're like, what? Anyway, so it was me and like Leslie Higgins, who ran for Colorado and and was running for this, helped start the, the local team for the women at the New York Athletic Club and Troutman. And it was just kind of fun to get yelled at, like he used to do to us when I was actually was trying to be a has been or, or never was or a has been. And so, working out with him. So I was just doing three miles worth of work, which is what I do with my off-the-hook group now. Mm-hmm. I feel like people even training for the marathon, three miles worth of interval training, which is probably all you have time for at group training, two to three, mm-hmm. maybe some a little bit faster, exactly. can get four in, because you need to get back within an hour and all that. Is uh, That's all I did when I my first marathon. I trained 33 miles a week on average, 17, 19, and 21, and then I did three miles worth of work and got yelled at by gags. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but that went pretty well. I almost ran 238, but my hamstring pulled up at 24, and I kind of lost about six minutes. And I ran 244, and I'm like, all right. I didn't hurt myself. My goal was to get to the starting line healthy, and everyone was like, that's such a boring goal. I'm like... Mm-hmm. I don't. I had sec- I had secondary goals of time, right. but I was terrified of like having it like dragging my leg for yeah. ten miles. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So anyway, that went well enough, other than the hamstring, and then um, that was I get. And then the next couple of months, I got a job at Roadrunners, mm-hmm. and part of the reason I ran New York was like I think this will help me get a job because it's their biggest event, and I should. I've worked it a couple of times for the local competitor for uh-huh. Mary for a couple of years, but mm-hmm. and maybe you know I won't be able to run it if I ever get a job because for a while staffers right. couldn't run it. And so then you're kind of giving away some of that freedom. Like Stewart and Gordon couldn't run for a while because yeah. couldn't run the New York City Marathon for a while because they had to work it. So much effort to put it on. So then um, Stewart was running Berlin and I had just run New York. And so and he was going for his like I don't know, sub 250 because he's done that like in five decades or something, which is only one of five people to do that. Mm-hmm. And so did a lot more training, maybe 50 miles a week or 45 miles a week, but still was healthy. I was probably in 230 shape going into Berlin. I remember doing like some pretty good workouts. Uh, I got bronchitis three weeks before. Um, so I just shut it down and I'm like, I'm thinking, all right, I'm, you know, all the work's in, I'm in a taper. So I went into the race, like I got healthy by the time the race was there, but I was like, kind of barely ran for two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. But I was like fresh, felt pretty good. Stuart was dealing with like an ankle injury, I think, or some type of calf injury. Calf injury. Yeah, he had done a lot of his training on the yeah. Ankle. Yeah. So he was like, uh, like I again, when I was trying to avoid the first marathon, like, oh my god, <laughs> is this gonna hold up? Like he was in the situation, and I was like, yeah, I got sick, but like, you know, I should have changed my goal for the race, but I was stubborn. I was like, oh, you know, I'm better. I didn't realize how it took me a while to figure it out, and actually, Matt Moran helped me figure it out like a month later because I was didn't know why the race went so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're having a great time, just him and I. We're we're drinking beers at the um, the expo, talking to people. This is my second marathon. It was Stewart's fifty seventh, <laughs> and all his are like sub three and you know whatever. So, and my marathon was pretty good. So you know he's kind of worried about finishing, and I'm like, right, I had bronchitis, but I should be fine. Um, problem with Berlin for me, the weather was too perfect almost, and the course is is super fast, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wanted to like take a couple miles to like warm up and run slower than pace. Mm-hmm. And I guess I was trying to run. I, I, I remember coming through at 116 for half. Wow. And so obviously that's 232 and I'm like, but um, what Matt Moran helped me figure out after the fact was that I had done no quality work in three weeks. And with Berlin being so flat and not a lot of turns, oh, yeah. I was just relentless. I did not have any ch- I, could, I would have been better off running New York because the hills, you use different muscles differently. And you're. And I was like, I knew I maybe aerobically it might have lost something, but I'm like, I'm still pretty fit. Yeah. And obviously I went through 116, like no problem. But I actually got on goal pace right away because I was up front with my seating because I think mm-hmm. I put 244, which is still an above average time. Mm-hmm. So like my, I was probably like in the second corral not even second corral like the whatever the top 2000 of the race i was like right up front yeah. you know it was not hard for me to and then i was like at that point everyone's running sub six like 540s whatever it was and i was like oh, i kind of want to slow down but once i locked into that pace i kind of was like all right here i am i didn't want another funny thing is i my watch broke in that training cycle so i need like i need a new watch because you know i need a time so i was back in the day before like my garmin um i got like the you know the iron man yeah. split and I was like, I only need 30 splits because 
It's 26.2 miles. Yeah. Well, all the splits were in kilometers. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually needed 42 <laughs> splits. So now I'm like, after race, talking about doing like due diligence and trying yeah. to be a coach. And yeah. I'm like, now, like, okay, I can't split every thousand because gonna I'm going to run out. <laughs> so then I was doing every two and then splitting it in half, which in the beginning was easy. <laughs> but towards the end of the race, like I'm like the math and I'm like, what am I doing? And then, so I should have paid the extra $5 for the memory to get a 50 splits. So that was funny in itself. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't do this research. You know? yeah. But I also wasn't, I was probably starting to coach at Roadrunners. I only run one marathon. Yeah. So here am I supposed to be like the white beard with the old guy and I'm like, <laughs> I've been running for 30 years, but I've only done one marathon. But yeah. as we realize, a lot of the same principles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm running. I get to mile 16, and I I feel like within two steps of 16, for whatever reason, my legs just stop working. Yeah. I was probably in like 80th place, 116 through half. I was like, I have to walk. Like this, mm-hmm. I, it was like, and maybe that was like a half mile, but it seemed like two two steps. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess I would just drop out because like my legs are done. Well, my stuff is at the finish line. I don't know where I am. I don't know. It's like in New York. New York, I would just, I had my apartment key and I would just go home at mile yeah. 18 because I used to live on the Upper East Side. Uh-huh. So I just start walking. And the thing with Berlin, everyone says like, if you want to get people to cheer for you, you put your name on your bib. Yeah. I didn't do that on purpose, but by default, I don't know if it's still like that in Berlin. So I had my number and then above my number was J-O-H-N. Yeah. John. <laughs> Yeah. which well, was just like they just kind of automatically put it on your bib yeah they That's, still do they still okay do so I'm walking and everyone I must have been the first person people saw walking because it was 80th place like yeah. everyone's super fit we're running 230 pace and the crowds are like super like into it <laughs> and they're like come on John and I'm like <laughs> like I'm like I gotta like I wanted to like rip off the name because I like stopped calling I was like I'm and I looked fine I just yeah. my legs were stopped because I was yeah. just walking I looked yeah, totally fine. It felt like the whole race passed me, Aww. but in the end, only two thousand people passed me. One being Stuart. <laughs> so it's I have ten miles to go. I literally walked for five miles before Stuart, because that's how fast I was running up top. Yeah. Stuart, unbeknownst to me, had struggled with his calf, like he thought, and he, of course, he's going to finish. He came all this way. He actually, I think, part of his motivation was that he had got the finisher shirt. Yeah, he's told like me at that the story. expo, and he's like, I got to finish now. I got yeah, like, to wear that shirt. <laughs> so I'm like, as I'm walking, I'm like, eventually Stuart's going to catch me. So he catches me. We have like five miles to go. I'm like miserable because I'm, I'm in that hurt locker mm-hmm. where it's like the pain cave where like mm-hmm. I feel fine aerobically, but my legs are just like mm-hmm. aching mm-hmm. and I can't run. I, I Walking hurts. Running doesn't really help. And I keep, so then he's like, come on, John. Like he's limping. We have five <laughs> miles to go. We start running like 10 minute pace, 11 minute pace, which feels horrible. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying to, like, hopefully someone would run with us to get kind of help with the, yeah. the yeah. mental. Mm-hmm. We were running so slow that, like, everyone was passing us or we were passing people. It was no, like, happy medium of, like, trying to find, like, a, a posse to run with. It was right. just me and him getting passed by everyone. And then occasionally we'd try to see someone that looked like running our pace. And then we were, they were running 13-minute pace or something. So, But then you do the math with your watch. He's like, all right, we have 30 minutes to go. And then we'd, like, run two miles. And then we were going so slow that it's, like, God, we still have 30 minutes to go. Like it, it was never ending because we kept our projections were based off of like seven minute pace, eight minute pace, which we couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So mentally, it was the toughest thing I've ever done physically. Even some other marathons I've run and I've struggled, it was just awful. But we still ran 3:11, which yeah. it's pretty fast. For me. I literally walked five miles and then jog walked another five miles. But since I was on 2:32 pace, 3:11. Yeah. Now I did that. I ran like I'll run 355 like yeah, for his back right. then yeah. but Stewart <coughs> kept me going 
but it was more like I was miserable and I'm like this is my slowest marathon but it was my second he goes this is yes. my slowest marathon it's my 57th <laughs> <laughs> so I was still pretty new to marathoning even though I was I was probably the fittest I've ever was for marathoning for sure but the, I didn't realize I wish I would have um, taken two weeks off and even done like a hard five mile tempo run mm-hmm. a week out because my legs were not used to the relentless and I had the same problem this year in the marathon I was trying to run with Daniel and Meb and I didn't do any training at seven minute pace mm-hmm. all my intervals were at 530 or 630 pace because I did those on Tuesdays with off the hook all my long runs were with these groups I coach mm-hmm. and I'm doing nine minutes ten minutes really slow, yeah. and I was getting you know three mile three hour runs in and which was like okay and I didn't need to run 230 to run with Daniel I you know 310 I'd run 122 at Staten Island half this past year so I'm like 122 yeah. I can easily run 310 yeah but what I realized I didn't do any training at my race pace, oh, which is not that hard. But yeah. it, that so the same thing that happened to me in Berlin, in a way, happened to me in this past year. I knew I was in trouble. I could be in trouble because I was like, you know, I haven't done any runs at seven thirty or seven fifteen. It's all been like nine minute pace, other than like my tempos or my some of the races I've run. Sure enough, mile nineteen, my legs were crushed. I couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So in the context of the marathon, do you recommend goal pace training to be really important? In it terms is, of but it, I think there's a threshold which Matt knows a lot about because we have these things called crossover runners, which is the back end of the virtual trainer. Mm-hmm. And if you're a certain, I think if you're like, I don't know, it might be 3.30 or faster, like certain paces change. So like this, if you're running six hours, we might your easy pace might be way faster than marathon pace. Mm. Whereas for me, or I'm guessing you guys, you're fast enough where... Like my easy run might be eight minute pace, but my, you know, tempo race is it, so the pace separation is 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 wider. Right. And so I might run six minutes in a ten k, and I might run six thirty for a tempo, and seven thirty is my easy run. I might even run eight. So then my, you know, I might have a two minute pace separation between like my easy run recovery and like a tempo mm-hmm. or ten k race. Well, that's it, not the same. You can't use the same, which is why some of these race predictors aren't accurate. Because they, they're based off world records in those age groups, and so uh-huh. by the time it gets to the slower runner, right. th- it doesn't. It's not the same. It's like you use this um, race predictor, kind of the manual one, like oh, add double your uh-huh. your half time and add ten minutes. Yeah, you can't do that for you can't do the same that same equation or conversion for two oh five or or um, Kipchoge. Um, Kipchoge is like two oh three or two oh two yesterday. Yeah. Like you can't you can't do that with the seven hour person it's like obviously it it changes so a lot of these pace um, calculators are based off of like the best in that age group so the 50 to 55 year old marathon is this and then like it it somehow waters down I think a little bit whereas what Matt does he's able to with all the volume of people that have come through the program and even though it's mainly New York for the Mm -hmm. virtual trainer it's still like a mass marathon with all ranges and the average is typically seven, like 428 to 434, uh-huh. depending on the weather based mm-hmm. on history. It basically changes. So for training purposes, sometimes your, your easy pace sometimes can be slower or faster than your race pace. Whereas for us, mm-hmm. not that we're elite, but we're, right. we're running three hours or, or faster, mm-hmm. or eight, four hours or faster even, yeah. it, you're typically running faster on race day. And right. so it, it, depending on, and I don't know off the top of my head because it's, it's been a couple of years since I worked on that project, it's, um, it's different. So, mm-hmm. but in my case, I definitely knew I was in trouble this year that I'm like, yeah, I might be in trouble. Didn't do any, 
I'm, I'm trying to average 720, which felt really easy until it didn't. Right. Um, until it doesn't. But I didn't have that. I didn't. I didn't like kind of scar or yeah. or kind of beat up my legs at that cadence. And think of physics and like how mm-hmm. things move. Like your muscles are bouncing differently at seven minute pace than they are at ten minute pace. Yeah. So that was definitely my problem in, in Berlin, which took me like a month or two. Finally, Matt was like, "You know what? This is probably it." Because I had no like other than being sick three weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. I was super fit. You know, and then I was like really puzzled of why. It's also my second marathon, so yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't. It wasn't like I'm an expert in marathoning at the yeah. time, and I thought I am either now. But this time around, I knew that that was my problem, and I was like hoping for the best. Luckily, Meb was there to finish the pacing job for me. <laughs> pretty good, pretty good backup plan. <laughs> and then I suffered, and then I had Literally. no, I had no, I had no skin in the game after that. So I was like, yeah, that's why I ran. I think I ran three fifty three. I was like, just I, t- I stopped at seven eleven at mile twenty two. Had a t- <laughs> I didn't really even know they made them. 16-ounce Coke can. A Coke can. Wow. All right. So I'm like drinking it. I ran a 22-minute, 24th mile, whatever that was, 23rd mile. (laughs) And again, my stuff was at the finish. Otherwise, I would have just like skirted off. But um, anyway, that's the marathon. Like there's definitely, to answer your question, like most people should definitely do some training at marathon pace. It changes a little bit if you're 2.30 or if you're 7.30. Mm-hmm. If you're yeah. racing all the time or running too hard all the time, you get fast pretty quickly. <coughs> Excuse me. And then you break down, get and injured or overtrained. I think that's the hardest thing to impart to uh, people that I'm coaching. It was also one of the hardest things for me to internalize, to go slow on the slow runs. And it's easier to coach. Well, it's tough. To, it's it makes perfect sense for you, but it's just having someone trust. It's tough for you to make that call for yourself. Yeah. That's why having a coach, even if it's just like I coach some people that they basically coach themselves, and I just tweak things. Right. And I say, hey, skip that race or mm-hmm. skip that run and do it the next day, mm-hmm. or do twelve instead of fourteen, mm-hmm. because you know the clues, uh, and you're just trying to like okay. And if there's someone who's type A, which uh-huh. a lot of marathoners yeah. become or become more so, mm-hmm. you know that they want to run that twelve. So instead of telling them to take the day off because they're not going to do it. Maybe you convince them to run eight or ten. That's good. Sometimes that's all you're looking for from someone who's like the you know is the experienced authority in that in that space. Yeah, it's like giving the answer. You're like, yeah, "Yeah, uh, I think I have a stress fracture. Should I run this? Go to your coach. (laughs) Well, the best is I I would at the expo. I'd be sitting there talking to all these runners, and and I was actually had like a lie. I feel like a celebrity. You had a lie. (laughs) But it was more because I talked to these people. They're bringing me olive oil from Italy, and like you know, like I have people yelling at me like I want my husband back. Like it's Coach John this, Coach John that. I'm like, I'm sorry. But, That's awesome. But it was like um, someone came and they had crutches on in a cast. I like, think I could run tomorrow. I'm like, I'm not a doctor, but no. Because they want to run so bad. They raise money or they, they it's on their social media and they kind of put it out there. And I'm like, that's why I'm so amazed by this. And this is probably as true to some other major marathons. But in New York, since we had the insight being on staff, every year, 98 to 99.2% of the field finishes wow. in a marathon. Now, you can obviously cancel. and. Yeah. And if you're like, if you have a broken foot, mm-hmm. you know, or you can't travel for, or you get pregnant or whatever the reason why you can't run, you cancel. And everyone that starts that day, some people might never run again because they, they're dragging their leg for 16 miles because they mm-hmm. did something wrong in training and they're so stubborn and they don't want to cancel. It's probably mostly men, mm-hmm. super stubborn. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's like it's, they finish. Because they raise money and they yeah. committed to it. I just want people to do it in a smart fashion where they want to run again. 
Yeah. And the running is still part of their lives. If they found running through the midlife crisis or the charity or the cause yeah. or of however they got to the marathon starting line or even just the applying, mm-hmm. like I, you don't ever have to run a marathon again. I don't even care if people run marathons. Yeah. Just get out there and run and, and love it. And my biggest lesson the last couple of years, even with the wellness piece, where it's people that are have less experience with running coming into it, they're often shocked after a few weeks of them sticking to it of, wow, this is actually pretty fun because they're meeting people, mm-hmm. yeah. they're getting out of their comfort zone, they're seeing improvement, which makes everyone feel good. Yeah. And their experience, or the relationship with running was it was a punishment from another sport growing up. Soccer, football, basketball, tennis, maybe not golf, but like you do laps as punishment or as like conditioning. Mm-hmm. So your association with running, if you did another sport, was it's awful and it's punishment. Mm-hmm. Or you had some terrible gym class experience where you're like wearing this stupid matching outfit like everyone else is wearing and you're doing like the physical fitness test and there's the mile yes. run yeah. and it's embarrassing and you, you just ate lunch and now you have to run the mile so that's their memory and then they realize like this is actually quite fun I'm like well A you're here on your own mm-hmm. you know you made the, the adult decision to show up here and pay your money or whatever or, or if it's a free group you showed up but it, you're not punishing you mm-hmm. We're not trying to trick you with it too much into like, you know, and you actually can run as easy or as hard as you want. Even interval training, you don't have to mm-hmm. do every workout like all out. Right. You know, there's certain things, you know, you hit it hard once in a while. If you're feeling a little bit off, you take it back. But the adults that are new to running are like, wow, this is, this is actually kind of fun. And it's like because it's not this traumatic, awful punishment, mm-hmm. which is really fun to kind of allow people to feel that way. Yeah. And as a coach, you... You know, whether it's now you're coaching and now the Brooklyn Rogues are, have a, their own team. And I was just a small piece of that. Yeah. But people did that for me. And it's like, how about like paying it forward and that sounds cheesy in the training journey. It's just like a little bit of timing, right, right place, right time. You just happen to sign up for the virtual trainer. Yeah. And you happen to email me a couple of times. And, I know. It and, changed my life. And then, you know, other things led to other opportunities, which you took advantage of. And it's, it's easier now to piece it together now. But when you're in it. Yeah. I didn't know I was building the virtual trainer. I was like, what did I get myself into? You know, and so when you sign up for the marathon, why did I do that? I lost a bet. I woke up one day with a hangover and I'm like, wait, I'm, I got this email that I'm in this half marathon. <laughs> and then you just have to, there's some people I coach for the marathon, especially at, at Roadrunners that I was like, they should not be running a marathon. Let's try a 5K, but they're running the... Right. So now I have to coach them and I have 12 or 16 weeks to coach them. And I'm like, and I know they're going to do it. So I'm like, all right. <laughs> Less is more, and you just try to right. like get them to yeah. get. You know, maybe they only run a 16 mile long run, or maybe they do 118, and you're like, that's it. Like, because yeah. mm-hmm. um, you don't want them injured at the start. Mm-hmm. And the magic of the day, they'll, they'll suffer through it. Like we've done so much, but um, yeah, you don't. Everyone's a runner. You just have to, you know, choose to run. Or if you choose not to run, you're still a runner. You're just choosing mm-hmm. not to run. Pretty simple, but it can yeah. be, we we make it more complicated. I know I like the idea of like it's it sounds very simple right place right time but that's how the web of life is built right mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and it's like you said it's easier to look back now but even you'll look back to today now from five years from now and be like yeah it was right place right time but the important part is is going to the starting line I yeah. think that's the most that's that that's kind of the toughest and and kind of the a perfect tagline to speak to that is never a project that one of their mantras is just show up how much no no, in that case it's free just show up it's one of the most supportive groups i've ever been a part of so that's when i I learned about it um i'm like this is not in new york yet like this has to come to new york and uh but it's just you just like what do i do do i sign up and what do i do and i need to we don't care what you're wearing we don't care what your shoes you have 
just show up. That's nice. And it's a very simple thing, but it mm-hmm. talks to what you're talking about. Is like you have to show up. I had a woman today at my WeWork class, and she was like feeling kind of. She's the slowest one in the group, and she was like, oh, "I almost didn't get out of bed today. I didn't want to come." And it was a beautiful day, perfect mm-hmm. running weather this morning. And we had we're downtown. It's like the Statue of Liberty, the Freedom Tower, and a lot of people. You know, a couple people missed it because it's Monday morning and. Mm-hmm. It's actually not that expensive, so it's easy to blow off. And she's like, I'm so glad I came. I was like, just, you just have to show up. Yeah. Sometimes that's the toughest part. You, you can have, I never regret a bad run. I'm glad it's over. But I'm never like, oh, I wish I did. Now, if you hurt yourself, you might say, I wish I didn't do that, or I didn't, maybe I shouldn't have done the fifth one uh-huh. because I have a bad hamstring and it kind of like got extra tight. So there's things that you could avoid or be smarter about if you have an injury or an illness. But I might be like, thank God that run's over with. But I'm never like, and when I sleep in and I miss a workout, I'm laying there feeling guilty and I don't even sleep well. That's the yeah. worst feeling. <laughs> so just get up and like, and I have a 20 minute rule. If you're really busy or you don't feel like, you don't feel, feel very good, do 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. If you're so busy, just get up 20 minutes, wear your running clothes, get out the door and walk, run. And if that's all you have, at least you got 20 minutes in and you feel like you did something. Yeah. But if it's in the after, after work or something where you have plenty of time to run, but you just feel awful, do 20 minutes. If you still feel awful, 20 minutes, go home. More often than not, you don't. You're talking to someone, you're running to someone, or you're at the practice. The next thing you know, you do the whole thing, and you're like, "Wow, I'm so glad I did that because I felt so bad that I was like, why even bother?" But it, you just kind of showed up, you started, and then you let you know. Again, if you have a, if you have awful after 20 minutes and you go home, it, it you, you still feel like okay, I got 20 minutes. And I always feel like that's my maintenance. If yeah. I got 20 minutes in, my problem is lately I've been too many I've been too, doing too many 20 minute runs. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, you gotta be time. You gotta time it better than what I've been doing. But it's one of these things. Twenty minute rule. It's like the easiest thing. Get out the door. Do twenty minutes. That's all you can do. You'll be better off for it mentally. At least you got something in. And if it's something you feel awful about, like you nor- typically you'll last more than twenty, and you'll feel better. And you're like, oh, you do thirty or forty, or you stumble into someone, and you help them out, and next thing you know, you run an hour, and you're like, even if you have an awful run. You could be glad it's over, but you don't regret you. You're not like I wish yeah, I didn't do that. Right. It's very, very rare. I find that you regret doing it. I, I can say zero times it may have happened. Yeah, it hasn't happened. Thank yet. God that's yeah. over. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That went terrible. <laughs> I went out too fast. You know, but it's not like I wish I didn't do that. So it's that's some simple things to think about when you're struggling when that alarm goes off. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what you're working on now that's coming up at the end of May? Yeah, actually. Um, Again, this is the fun thing. I mean, again, not everyone wants to work for themselves because that's can be a double-edged sword. Um, but uh, which was really tough. My wife was home from maternity leave. She's like, "This is what you do." <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I have early mornings, and I, you know, you know, I travel a little bit. But um, she was kind of like messing with my mojo. I was like, I had to go in the basement versus like sprawling <laughs> out, uh, yeah. uh, sprawling out, you know, the kitchen or the living room table. But um, when I left Roadrunners to form my own company, I needed a name, and mm-hmm. I didn't know what to call it, so I just called it JR Hunter Camp, thinking. Hopefully that'll change to something. And so through the last year, Run Camp formed. And then so um, to answer your question, finally, Run Camp Ireland is basically a runcation. My tough thing about marketing is people might see Run Camp Ireland and be like, I have to be like this fast runner or mm-hmm. I have to, it's 90 miles of altitude training. And it really is just like a vacation, yeah. but we allow for running. And the runs are going to be these gorgeous runs, but we're, we're going to take photos there is a 5K park run on the beach, so that's kind of nice to have some type of race destination, yeah. but it's not a marathon where you're, right. you are have to plan. Most people could do a 5K next week if they mm-hmm. wanted to. 
So there's a 5K race on the beach with Park Run, but it's really 90% like tourism. It's four days. We have Shane as our lead tour guide because he lived there. We'll go to the the boat ride. We'll I think a lot of the, the new Star Wars, newer Star Wars films were filmed there, so we'll go to some of that. Uh, there's the, the Dingle Distillery. So it's really just like I've never been there. My wife and daughter are going to come, and it's a small group where I'm just piloting kind of this runcation and. If it goes well, I might do a couple more. I don't want to yeah. do like every weekend, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we might do one in Reykjavik, Iceland, because I want to go there. Yeah. So I have to find, actually, there's someone from the Murmur Project that leads there that I can tap into. So finding someone on the ground that knows all the ins and outs, just like if the three of us were going to put on a run camp mm-hmm. in New York, yeah. we'd know where to go. Mm-hmm. You know, the pasta place, we know the touristy place that's yeah. not so touristy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just doing that elsewhere and I have a partner who is from there. I wouldn't do it if Shane right. wasn't from there and Matt didn't say, hey, this is, you should do something. So I have a lot of like for close friends that are coming over for it and it's um, it's really going to be a vacation for me. It's a little bit of work because I have to be in charge, uh-huh. but I'm actually really excited for because I'm going to be able to enjoy a lot of that. So um, that's coming up. It's in a few weeks. It looks great. So spots if you want to, you know, I don't know. How, we, we take care of everything else. You just have to get your flight to Shannon and we'll get you a shuttle to Dingle. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's, and the fact that my wife is coming. Yeah. You know, not that she's not a runner because she's run three marathons. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't actually, although everyone's a runner, she's someone who probably ran just because of through osmosis and me talking about it. <laughs> but um, the fact that she's coming and we're able to combine efforts to mm-hmm. spend some family time. We're going to go to Galway for three days after oh, um, nice. and come back. But it's, uh, if you've ever been to Dingle? I have not. I've been to Dublin. Okay. But the photos that I've been posting on Instagram to kind of promote it. Gorgeous. Yeah. I'm like, this is pretty good. So, um, yeah, I appreciate you asking about that because it's a a new thing. And it's just something I'm timing. And, like, I know Matt. So, I know Shane through Matt. And Matt and I keep crossing paths. We keep just collaborating. So, it's something that um, I hope continues because he's brilliant. And the things that he... And he's such a compassionate guy. And he doesn't do things to make money. It's like... There's a need here. I can do this. I do it. And then, you know, the virtual trainer is a, you know, New York Rivers is his main client with the virtual trainer, but he owns it and, yeah. and, and, and utilizes it. And so it's, it's a way to kind of do things at scale that are intentional and there's thought. Because when I mean, you coach it at volume, even you probably notice that at group training when there's a smaller group versus a larger group, mm-hmm. you could do more with like the group of 10 or five mm-hmm. versus the group of 30. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good to have both. Um, yeah. It just depends on who shows up that yeah. day. And it's uh, his product is allows the scale. But if you utilize that, yeah. the, the e-coaching like, and you have a set coach, like, for, like whether it was me or someone else, yeah. like Coach Steve, I hired Steve to, mm-hmm. to, to help that with me. Um, it, uh, I learned a lot of my running through coaching the thousand people that had like the questions I got some of them are like, you know, breastfeeding at the start. I'm like, I don't know, but yeah. I found out. And found guess what? Out. You can, you can, you can, it's a medical device. It, it, you can, you can um, give it to medical team at the start at Fort Wadsworth. They'll bring it to the finish. It's like an ad, it's like having a second bag. Wow. But I, there's some things that's not really a coaching yeah, question, but it is know. when it comes to logistics. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if someone's breastfeeding, mm-hmm. Like, so now I know that question yeah. <laughs> and I knew that now I know that answer. <laughs> so that's how you learn is by like, oh, let me get back to you. And eventually, eventually a lot of the, the, the questions are pretty similar. Every year I've noticed like it's the people that are f- freaking out and going to someone who's really like relaxed. It's rare that like you get a different question mm-hmm. that you don't haven't handled over like right. five years of 
coaching the the thirty thousand runners. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, obviously I learned a lot from being an athlete and coaching and running and coaching in college. But like coaching the newbie that has no business running the marathon yet, but is a kind of a crash course, trying to like mitigate yeah. the, the stress and mitigate like the. The, the, the triage that can come out of that and I'm hating running because they, it's like this job they have to do and again I would my advice to that person would be like come back next year yeah but guess what they're here now and then the whole thing about showing up they're here they yeah. showed up they showed up they just went I heard you say far. yeah exactly so it's yeah it's um it's just managing that, but it, it's 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 a pleasure to work with people and get them to accomplish goals as you have seen, or you mm-hmm. you get a lot out of it. So it's even though it's like work and you're, and it's it's a really rewarding. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks I think for having the whole me. episode was a training tip. All so. of it. <laughs> Most of it. Well, I kind of learned just even repeating it. I'm like, oh yeah, I should use that more often because you forget what you learned. Yeah. And you you take it all in. Like Gordon Stewart were like roadrunners. Um, like for a while, like staff couldn't coach, and I'm like, uh, we have Gordon Bacoulos and Stuart Calder, yeah. like they can't coach for us. Yeah, and so we it finally out. figured it out where it was like allowed. I was like the, I guess the lead trainer because that was like my main job or like head coach of this because uh-huh. they had editorial jobs. Right. But I was like trying to steal their time because a they're phenomenal coaches and they should yeah. be coaching. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And they both enjoy it really. You know, it's not like they, it's like a work for them. Yeah. So I was. They seem uh, to love it. I'm glad to see them still doing it because they have lots of knowledge that I, to this day, still try to take in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, also just a special thank you for me for helping putting me on this path. No. So you were so instrumental to my running journey, which is continuing, so thank Great. you. Great. No. I'll keep, <laughs> keep, keep paying it forward. And I hope that if you run Berlin this year, you or if you go cheer, that you have a less painful experience. Thank you, me too. (laughs) 